We've all heard it before. It's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Hey, everybody. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. If you'd like to get more involved in the conversation, join our Facebook group at Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. This week's guest is Richie Burke. Richie is the founder and CEO of GGMM, Go Get It Marketing and Media, a marketing agency that helps brands including Trek Bicycle, Collier's International, Thrivent Financial, Komatsu, Marquette University, and many more grow through services including podcast production and marketing, brand strategy, and digital marketing. He is the co-founder of PodFest MKE and regularly speaks on digital marketing, storytelling, and podcasting. He is also the host of the Go-Getters podcast, a local Milwaukee podcast, which is syndicated by On Milwaukee. Over 100 episodes, and it generates 10,000 downloads per month. Richie, welcome to the show. Lori, thanks for having me. It's good to see you virtually. Obviously, a fan of what you're doing. I think we're kind of the two two of the OG podcasters in the city. So excited to be on today. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I know we're going to have a good conversation, but let's dive a little bit into that fun topic of podcasting. Why don't you share with our listeners how you uh, how long you've been podcasting and why you decided to get started? We started our show in 2016. The Go Getters. It's a Milwaukee community-based show. We do a very wide range of topics. I had the idea for it and kind of started it back in 2012 as a YouTube show. And we did five episodes and the hard drive crashed. It was called Go Get It TV. It was called The Go-Getters. Our channel was Go Get It TV. And one survived. It's still on YouTube right now. I don't know the login to that YouTube account, but it's up there. (laughs) And then then, um, that was back in 2012. And then I pivoted my business in 2013. And that was kind of a shit show pivoting the business. And the, the idea just got pushed way on the back burner. And then 2016 wanted to do the same thing via podcasting and audio. I was a fan of some podcasts and I saw an opportunity in the local market. Again, not very many people at all were doing it here. I saw a lot of national podcasts on marketing and success and stuff like that, but nothing really being done on a local level to highlight interesting local stories or business leaders via audio and Facebook video. So we started that in 2016 very naively. We did a lot wrong. I think we were going, <laughs> we were recording off, you know, $50, $60 Amazon recorder in a wide open room in our office, which was in a strip mall off of KK, a little building. And I mean, the audio quality was not very good at all. We were shooting Facebook videos off a camcorder and it, it still took off. I think there's something to being different and unique and the storytelling was still pretty good and it did pretty well locally, surprisingly. And we saw what it did from a business standpoint for our agency and thought, Hey, everyone's listening to audio. No brands are producing audio. Why don't we start podcasting for other companies and start offering this as a service kind of similar to 
what you guys do at Keystone and launched that service in the spring of 2018 and thought it was going to blow up right away. And it didn't, <laughs> you know, we, like we got our first client five or six months later, but now we get to produce a number of shows for some of the brands that you mentioned in the intro. And, and we significantly upped our production game at that time for ourselves and got, got serious about the medium. That's awesome. I mean, it's a great medium. So let's talk about the Milwaukee focus a little bit. Why did you decide to just your content should be focused on in the Milwaukee market? Again, I think it's, I think when you're marketing or starting any product, it's good to really start narrow and then grow from there just because there's so much noise out in the marketplace. And I would advise that to anyone starting a show today. And in 2016, there were very few, if any, shows highlighting Milwaukeeans. And for Milwaukee, as far as podcasts, and not a lot of people were producing Facebook videos telling these stories. There are, there's obviously more now, but I saw the white space in the market. I thought it would be cool to do. I thought it would be fun to do as well. And selfishly, I thought it would be a good way to network and grow my business. And I don't have people on the show to sell them on my services, but that typically just happens naturally. You, you add a lot of value to someone, you build a relationship and you know, if they're, they need help with what we do, they're typically, you know, I'm typically getting that phone call. So it's worked out in a number of ways for us. That's awesome. Yeah. I know that we've had a really good success with our, with our podcast as well, as far as supporting, um, beyond just the interview, which is great and not necessarily the intention overall, but it's definitely a great way to, to build the relationship. Yeah. And it just, from a, a local brand awareness standpoint too, it's been huge for us as far as the ears on the podcast and the eyes on the video and the strategic partnership with on Milwaukee to boost our engagement. So it's, it's done a lot of good for us as a company. That's awesome. That's great to hear. So you talked about some of the hurdles uh, when you started your podcast. If you would do it all over again, what would you do differently? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, I would have done differently off the bat, you know, much better equipment. Um, I think, I mean, we had good guests. We did a pretty good job of marketing it. That's why it kind of still took off. Although I look back at the old episode covers and I think the branding was terrible on it. There's, there's little details like that. I also think going into something with kind of, uh, you know, naiveness can be a benefit because you don't exactly know what you're getting into and how hard it's going to be. And I'm sure you've experienced that with your show and just starting a business from scratch as well as sometimes, you know, going in kind of blind and really learning as you go and adapting fast and it can be a benefit. Um, I think a lot of people spend too much time planning or trying to get something perfect and then putting it out there when in reality you launch something and you never really know how it's, how it's, how the market's going to respond. I think it's much better to, you know, put something out there, almost build it as you go a little bit, see how the market reacts and then adapt based based off of that. A hundred percent agree with that. Um, you know, people can put the most amazing, beautiful plan together, but you know, and then COVID hits, you right. know, so, I mean, you never know. Um, it could be something as massive as that, or just something super minor that, you know what, maybe no one's actually interested in the product you have to offer. Yeah. I think, I think launching a podcast is extremely similar to a product launch or a business launch. And 
usually, you know, you you can you can plan all you want. You put it out there. Usually, nothing goes as planned in a way, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, you, the market responds one way, and you got to take that feedback and adapt and adjust and go from there. And even when people are starting podcasts today and they're wondering what kind of content they should post, how how long should the episodes be? A lot of the time is well, if you already have an audience, definitely talk to them and survey them and see what their their pain points are. What questions do they already ask you? What stories are they interested? in hearing what kind of podcasts do they listen to already? What's the optimal length for them? But a lot of the advice is taking that feedback and then experimenting. We've had Mm -hmm. some really successful shows that are over an hour long and we've had some really successful ones that are eight minutes long. And we've had some that I thought were going to completely take off that didn't do that well. You know, you just, sometimes you just don't know. Trial and error. That's for sure. Um, let's talk about networking a little bit. Thanks for sharing all your insights around podcasting. My goal with this show is to help alleviate any fear that people have when they hear that word networking. So can you share with our listeners, one of your favorite networking experiences that you've had? It's a good question. Favorite networking experience. I think networking for me changed a lot over the years. I think when you're when you're young and you're starting a business like I was, you're trying to get as front of in front of anyone or as many people as possible. And I started my company going door to door. I was walking into small businesses, trying to get them to run promotions on, on my deal site and get in front of them. And I was going to a lot of networking events. And I think at that point, when you're new to the marketplace, it's, it's good to just get out there. And I think there's value in, in showing up. You never know what's going to happen. A lot of times I've gone to events kind of begrudgingly because I didn't know anyone that was there or I didn't really feel like showing up. It was after a long day or it was an early breakfast, but I just showed up and introduced myself. And those have ended up being some of the best connections and have led to business. So I think it's important to, you know, be somewhat strategic about where you show up, but, um, you really, you really never know. The more you put yourself out there, no matter what it is, the better chance you have of it leading to something. I think also, you know, I think one of the best um, definitions of networking is just adding value to others. Um, and, you, you know, both of us have been able to do a lot of that through podcasting. So even when you're just starting out and you think you may not have a lot to offer in the business world. Maybe you have something else to offer when you're meeting people, you can connect the dots and introduce people to other people that they want to meet. Or, you know, if you're afraid of networking or showing up in person, maybe you can, you know, go with a friend to help alleviate some of that anxiety. I think it's different for everyone. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it's okay to, to have a little bit of, well, anxiety showing up, but, um, but like you said, you never, you never know what you're going to find or who you're going to meet when you go to an event, regardless of what type of event it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, yeah, I think just going, you know, being, being, being strategic and really doing things, whether it's going to a networking event or I've, I've met a lot of people on the the golf course. That's been very good for me because I, you know, I used to be a really good golfer and I can show up to an outing or have people out and use that to my advantage. That's a strong suit for me personally. A lot Mm -hmm. of people listening to this probably don't want to get near a golf course. 
that's fine. What, what do they enjoy doing? Maybe it's something with the arts. Maybe it's going to a, you know, a basketball game. I, I don't know. I think people should be going all in on their networking strengths too in doing mm-hmm. things that align with their interests. Cause the people who show up to those things are going to have more in common with them. And, you know, finding common ground is essentially how, how you make friends. So I think people should do things that may be slightly uncomfortable showing up to, but that really align with their interests and hobbies and what they want to be doing in the business yeah. world. Totally. I totally agree with that. How do you stay in front of or best nurture your network and your community? There's a, there's a number of ways, obviously, you know, our current clients are a big part of our network. So we're in touch with them a lot, whether that's me or people on my team. Um, you know, we've built out our email list. We do, we send out what I consider value added emails. We've changed our email marketing strategy quite a bit just over the last few months here. Um, I think on LinkedIn, I've been posting a lot more content on there. We have our CRM. I know we both use SharpSpring for that Mm -hmm. where, you know, we keep track of our sales pipeline and make sure I'm staying in front of them or inviting them to our webinar or events that we have. And I think, I think the more interesting things that you have going on as a person or a company that you can add value to people, the better off that you're going to be, whether it's, you know, holding a webinar that's going to add value or, an event or being involved in a cause and you can reach out to people with stuff they're actually interested in opposed to saying, Hey, I wanted to check in or, Hey, we've, you know, look at what we've done here. Um, and I think going back to when there's an opportunity to connect the dots or refer business to people in your network or introduce them to people that they can benefit from, I try and do that a good amount when I run into, into people that yeah. there's not much more valuable than that. I, I agree 100%. I, I, that statement, connecting the dots, I think is something that is the best way to illustrate how you can be um, a resource to your network by not just focusing on who's going to help me, but you know, this person over here could be a great person for this person over there. And then you're the one you know, making the connection. Yeah. And I, I think too, especially if you have a limited amount of time, I think whatever's going to be low energy and high impact is the best way to go about networking. When I was starting out, I had a lot more time so I could show up to every event and get out there and do that. Right now, I don't have a ton of time, but I can make a really high impact for people in a short amount of time. Like if I'm sending an email introduction when I think two people should meet, Mm -hmm. that might take me two minutes to do. But they'll end up talking and if they end up doing business together, that's huge value for not a lot of time on my end and they're both going to think really highly of me. Totally. You look at networking and leadership too. And one of my favorite definitions of leadership is, is a simple definition. It's helping the other person win. And I think if you apply that to networking too, you look at these people in your network and just looking for opportunities to help other people win in whatever they're trying to do, um, is really valuable. And again, if you can make those low energy, high impact touch points on your end, you're going to be adding a ton of value to a lot of people. Love it. I love it. What advice would you offer that business professional who's looking to grow their network? I think, I think going, going back to 
there, there's so many different ways to do it right now, which is the great thing about being in 2020. You can do it. I think there's definitely a value in the online game, being active on LinkedIn, posting content, actually reaching out and connecting with people, but nothing, nothing's going to beat face-to-face contact. Face-to-face isn't scalable. Obviously online is scalable. I can get in front of a lot more people on LinkedIn. And today we sent off, you know, an email that went to thousands of people that took a few hours to create and it got a good response. You talk about, um, you know, low effort, high, high impact touch points, but again, nothing's going to beat face to face. So I think it's, it's showing up to those events and actually, or if you don't like showing up to events, reaching out to people you have something in common with, or you may want to get in front of on LinkedIn and inviting them to coffee. Maybe you're less intimidated and just better in a one-on-one situation. I think everyone's different. I talked about, I can do fine at events. Um, um, you know, I'm good networking on the golf course. I'm good going to Bucks games, stuff like that, because I'm actually interested in that. And that way I'm networking with people who already have common interests with me that are part of the business community. And there's so many subgroups, especially in a city like this, that people can get involved with. So I think, I think people, you know, putting themselves out there, trying new things, but also being cognizant of, of where they're going and making sure it aligns with what they're interested in. I agree. And, you know, finding something that you are passionate about makes it, it alleviates some of that anxiety that you're speaking to earlier and attending because you at least have a common ground outside of whatever the business objective is. It's, you know, Oh, I really, I used to go to a networking group that it was, Wiener Dogs City Lounge <laughs> um, had, you know, the three dachshunds beer that they created and they used to hold a monthly Wiener Dog meetup. So I would bring my guys and there'd be, you know, 30 other Wiener Dogs there, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. But it was yeah. way less threatening to go because, I mean, you already have a common topic of conversation placed in front of you. Dude, a- absolutely. Agree. And like for me, if I'm going to, um, you know, a golf outing or, uh, you know, a suite at a bucks game or something, I'm going to do a lot better in that situation than if I'm going to a, you know, a fundraiser or a event for the symphony orchestra or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with the symphony orchestra. I have a lot of respect for them and, you know, know someone in there and think very highly of the organization, but I just don't know anything about it. So I'm going to do better in those other situations. And I think it's good to be, be well-cultured and, you know, support, um, you know, causes across the city, but also playing to your strengths, whether it's networking or business in general, you're just going to get more done faster. Totally. Totally agree with that. All right. If you could go back to your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of less of or differently with regards to your professional career? I think not worrying so much about what other people think of you is important. Um, I think I spent a lot of time, especially after starting my business, trying to prove something which served as a very big form of motivation, probably not the healthiest form of motivation. And I have a very people pleasing personality too, on the other side, which can be good in certain ways, but you know, I've also procrastinated or avoided a lot of, you know, confrontation or tough situations, conversations that happen in business for any business owner. Mm -hmm. And I think 
just <laughs> getting that stuff out of the way sooner rather than later. If your gut tells you something's not right, go, go deal with it right away. It, don't sweat the small stuff because small shit happens all the time <laughs> and, and not caring so much about what other people think of you taking, taking some of their input, but doing what you think is best. And I think being a little more patient too, I can be, I can be kind of impatient. I tend to have a big vision for things and, and things typically take a lot more time, energy and, and money to get them to where you want them to, to be than you initially think, mm-hmm. but it can be really worth it. Yeah. So that's, that's a tangent of what I tell my 20 year old self. I, I think it's good advice, advice to share, <laughs> um, to not worry about what other people are thinking and, and patience definitely goes a long way. Um, I know I've had my own experiences with, I want everything done now yeah. <laughs> and then that's just unrealistic. Yeah. And by, by patience, I don't mean to tell people to relax or not have a sense of urgency. I think patience with a sense of urgency, you want, you want to be moving fast to wherever you're trying to get, but just understanding it may take a while and shit's going to happen. But if it's what you really want, it's going to be worth it in the end. All right. Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to interview me. What is something that you'd like to ask me? I'm, I'm curious. We're in similar businesses. I, I like the question you just asked me. I'm going to flip it on you. What advice would you give yourself when you were first starting your business or filing your LLC or whatever you did? Oh, <laughs> so many things I would have done differently. <laughs> Where do I begin? Um, I would, I'm sure you could echo some of what I just said. Yeah. Um, going back, starting my business, I think what I would have done is not try to do everything myself. And, you know, I think one of the best decisions I made over the years was find, found um, some mentors and um, I engaged some business coaches and that was really helpful. So the, the longer I've been in business, the more I realize there's more to learn about business. So <laughs> um, that's probably... You know, I would have tried to just partner and probably hire the right people to educate me on the legal and the financial and the HR, you know, all the things that I didn't really know about business. My background, my education and expertise has been in marketing since, you know, day one, basically of of my education and my professional experiences, but I didn't know anything about all those other buckets, so just figured them out. (laughs) Lori, I I love that. It actually sparked some more advice I had for my, my 20 year old self or my 22 year old self when I was starting out, I I would tell them, um, yeah, (laughs) you you said not try and do everything yourself. I would say try and fire yourself as fast as possible from (laughs) things you're not good at. So we, we have an operations person right now. And I hired her on Veronica two years ago. And I should have done that a year and a half earlier. And we squandered a bunch of opportunities because I didn't do that. And I thought I was a good operations person or a manager because I'm a nice guy. I'm genuinely likable, but there's a lot more than that. And I can sell and that there's a lot more to that than managing a company. And a lot of the traits that make 
good day-to-day managers and operators are stuff that I'm absolutely terrible at, like being good with details, holding people accountable, having those confrontational conversations, project management, making sure, you know, finances are paid and HR is on time. And we were in a financial position where we were doing pretty well. I think in, you know, 2016, 2017, and we should have brought her on then. And a lot of those growing pains, because I grew the company really fast back then, but they really all came back to bite me in the ass because we had no systems or processes or structure. And a lot of our issues were masked by, you know, a few good clients that, um, you know, we, some of which we squandered opportunities with. So I think just being self-aware to know what you're actually good at and then hiring people that can support that and getting out of your own way as fast as possible is, is key for a business owner. And a lot of entrepreneurs are very visionary and visionaries tend to not make the most, the best managers and operators. And those skill sets are, I would say, equally important. You really need both of them. And it's pretty rare that people have both of them. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. That integrated role is key. Yes. Um, yes. I, the- I've not found that ideal integrator yet for, for my business. So I guess I'll put a call out there in the universe. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> <Yeah>. looking, <laughs> I'll, it, I'm willing it, to have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, it, it changes things and it's a leap for a small business to hire a, a high up, essentially non-revenue generating position. Mm-hmm. Although she does generate some revenue on the account management side, but the amount of expenses that were cut instantly due to disorganization or the amount of, time that it's freed me up to do what I'm good at and the uh, um, amount of frustration that it saved the team because they actually have systems and processes to follow has been worth it for sure. That's awesome. Um, Another piece of advice that I would give to, I think anyone starting a business and this is especially relevant to, to the marketing agency business that we're in is trying not to be everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. And there's so many marketing agencies out there that do this. And we used to be one of them and you're really not specializing in anything at that point. And it's really difficult to get really good at something. So we were, you know, doing web design, video, social media, dabbling in podcasting, all this, all this different stuff. And I think if I were to start from day one, I would just specialize in, be the best digital marketing agency for a specific industry or a specific Mm -hmm. vertical and get really specific in that or just specialize in in a service and be the best at that. I think if you're not specializing, you're just lumped in with everyone else and it's really hard to stand out that way. So I'm glad we've kind of found our niche in podcasting, you know, in the last few years. and, And even though it only makes up probably... 35% of our revenue, it's probably 90% of what we're known for at this point. At least, you know, people, people know who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that hundred percent. I mean, there's, there's that saying, you know, there's, there's riches in the niches. (laughs) So (laughs) it's so, it's so true. And I think anyone who's starting out, it's such a crowded marketplace and people, people are so hesitant to go really narrow because they're afraid of alienating people. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do that, you're going to have a hard time getting anyone. Yep. Yeah. So go really narrow. And then you can grow after that if you want to, but go really narrow at least yeah. to start and get, get something. 
No, I love it. Um, I agree with that hundred percent. So do you have any final word or advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? Yeah, I, I, th- I think little, little things can go, go a long way. Again, some of my best connections have been from showing up to an event that I wasn't in the mood to go to. I think there's power in, in showing up. I would focus on what high, high value, low effort ways I can help my network out and just, just simple stuff to separate yourself out too. Like, you know, if someone does something nice for you, send them a thank you card. No one does that. Um, just, just those little, little things can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just looking to connect, connect the dots for people can be very helpful and play to your strengths too. Yeah. I love it. Those are all great pieces of advice for our listeners. Um, Richie, if anyone was interested in getting in contact with you, what is the best way that they can reach you? Um, they could just look up Richie Burke, R-I-C-H-I-E-B-U-R-K-E on pretty much any social platform, or you could go to our website, ggmm.io. All right. We'll include that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully we'll see each other in person soon once this all blows over. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) All right. This wraps up our episode of Social Capital. A huge thank you to Richie for taking the time to connect with us. If you want to continue the conversation on networking and building your community, join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com and search for Social Capital Network. If you need me, send an email to Lori at socialcapitalpodcast.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.